If you have an empty seat next to you, just raise your hand. If you have an empty seat around you, y'all can see in the back those empty seats. There's only a few. Great to have you guys here this morning. And um, it's good to be in the house of the Lord, especially when the kids are in here. It's great fun. Bring a few more chairs in here. We'll just kind of wait because can we just talk for a moment about how much water got on those kids' heads? I knew that was going to happen before it happened because I was doing it, but uh, that was glorious. I thought about bringing a super soaker in, but then I thought, nice. Okay. Nice. There we go. Yeah, I love it. Bring them on in. Bring, bring all the chairs in. Wow. Let's all just applaud the people that are going to walk in here. <clears throat> what we're applauding are the people that are going to have the courage to sit right here after we've stopped the whole service so that they can come in. So come on in, everybody. Yeah. If you have a Bible and you're uh, fiddling and you don't know what to do right now, uh, turn to Luke chapter 18 because we are going to be talking about, and we're in this little mini series on generosity. Um, and I got, I got to let the cat out of the bag that I have an agenda with this mini series. And my agenda is, is that uh, the generosity temperature in this room would rise because of this three week service sermon series that your generosity uh, would go up and that a hundred percent of you in this room would become radically generous with your life. In fact, I also have this agenda that if Midtown is your home, that you would consider being radically generous here, that you would give to the work of Midtown. And the reason I say that is because I do love this community and I think we're pretty good with your money because if you give us money, I don't care how much you give us, we're going to spend every penny of it. We are, I promise you. And we're going to spend it for good things. So I want you to be, I want you to grow in your generosity. And I also, if this is your church, you grow generous here too. That 100% of Midtowners would go, I give to that, even if it's just a dollar a week that you begin practicing generosity. With that said, and this is what you got to do. Okay, hang on to this to this post, what I just said. I want you to be generous. That's my agenda. I want you to become more generous. Now imagine yourself in a speedboat on a choppy lake and we're about to take a hard left. You better hang on or you're going to go flying off. So hang on because with this being said, God doesn't need your money. In fact, I'll say it a little a bit more radical. God doesn't want your money. If before the New Year's, you came in here and you gave Midtown, let's say, you know, $100,000, and this is your first time at church since you gave that gift, and you're wondering why I haven't come up and hugged you, it's because I don't know what any of you give. There's not a pastor on our staff that knows what anybody gives to Midtown. That's a whole other sermon, but I just want you to know, Midtown doesn't put its trust in you to give us what we need to accomplish the mission that God's called us on. You know that we're not putting our trust in you. We have our trust in a father who is the father of the church. In fact, let me say a couple of more things. Are you hanging on? All right, are y'all with me? 
The 8.30 service started bleeding out of their ears at this point. In fact, will God love you more if you give? No. Will God bless you more if you give? Well, wait, 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 wait a minute. No. Will God's promises be greater for you if you give? No. Here at Midtown, is there a secret club? Is there the, the bronze givers, the silver givers, and the gold levels givers? Yes. <laughs> In fact, we have a Lexus Lounge here at Midtown. <laughs> we do. It's right below us. And trust me, if you give a lot of money, you have unprecedented access to our Lexus Lounge downstairs. You and 50 of our kids from Kidtown. You can go down there anytime you want, get all the cookies you want, you can enjoy. No, there is no giving levels here. In fact, here's what's crazy. You can't purchase from God more of the grace that he's already given you through Jesus Christ. You can't purchase more of his blessings. You can't purchase more of his mercy. You can't purchase, get this, more of his favor. You are his son and daughter in Christ. And that means that Every blessing that is through Christ is yours in Jesus, regardless of how much you give. If you were broke, if you were broke and you had, you had just $2 left and you put one in the offering plate and the other when you went and bought a, a lotto, are you going to win? Probably not. Giving is not, you know, the genie in a bottle that if we just rub that genie and we give a lot of money, we seed money to Midtown, then we're going to leave here and the genie's going to pop out of the bottle and make that deal work for you tomorrow. Or God's going to extra blessing you. In fact, let's go even further. You can be the stingiest, tightest, Uncle McScrooge McDuck that surfs across his ocean of gold and never give one dollar ever one dollar to any noble endeavor or to the church. And if you're in Christ, all the blessings of God are for you. Okay. Well, I told Chad after the first service, uh, this is where we shut down Midtown because you're all going, thank God I don't have to give any money to this church. You don't. You don't. In fact, you can't lose his affection because you did nothing to get his affection. Jesus did it all. And because Jesus did it all, there's nothing you can do to lose what he gave you. God doesn't want your money. He doesn't need your money. This is where you got to hang on. But, this is the big but where I go, but if you will give, we'll love you. No, that's not what I'm going to say. I was at first watch on Friday with a friend and I heard something behind me, and I turned around and looked, and there was this old gentleman laying on the floor of first watch. And the waiters and waitresses were all gathered around him. One of them was like, you know, they knew a doctor, and he came, run over, came running over and put his feet up. And here's, I just want you to know that my intelligence is probably higher than yours. Uh, I know. Because here's what I assessed at that immediate moment. There's something wrong with him. That was confirmed when an ambulance came and took him away on a stretcher. I'm like, hmm, that, see, I was right. And here's what I want to tell you. This is the obvious. Let me state the obvious. Mr. Obvious here. If you are not generous in your life and you know Jesus, something is wrong. 
If you know the Jesus that I know, the Jesus that Gary talked about last week when he said, our God, he doesn't give generously. Our God is generosity itself. He is the fountainhead which all generosity flows out of. If that's true and you know that God and you call him your father and that's not a fruit of your life, something is wrong. So we're going to talk about that, okay? All right. I'm not going to make a big deal of this, but Keaton's reading for us today. And I got to tell you, I just, where is he? Did he, Keaton, please come forward. I'm not making a big deal of it. But man, I love your voice. Just, (laughs) just love it. Make scripture come alive for me. This is Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 18, which is easy for those of you that can't hang on to very many numbers. All right. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad, because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Okay, Lord, we uh, pray and thank you for your word and for the power of your scripture in the hands of your Holy Spirit. Now we pray, Father, you would do that miraculous thing that you do, which is uh, we can't discover truth, but you can reveal it. And we pray you give us courage when you do so, uh, that we would have courage to follow and trust. In Christ's name, amen. So uh, you've probably all heard sermons on this passage. Many of you have probably heard countless sermons on this passage. I'm not going to preach really on this passage. I just want to point out one thing in this passage, which is uh, verse, let's see, it's 22. When Jesus said to him, You still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. This was a response to this man's question of what must I do to inherit eternal life? And it feels like what Jesus is saying is there actually is something that you can do that will earn you eternal life. But it's not what's happening here at all. In fact, what Jesus is pointing out is, and if you've ever read the gospels, you realize that when Jesus met somebody with leprosy, he healed leprosy. When he met somebody that was blind, he healed the blindness. When he would meet somebody that's lame, he would heal the lame, take up your mat and walk. When he met somebody who was dead, like dead, he would cause to them, rise up, Lazarus, come forth. But with this dude, he goes, there is something that's standing in the way of you and me that you got to deal with. And we get a hint as to what that is when we read, when he heard this, he became very sad because he was wealthy. That the money in his life, the wealth and the power that had come from that was such a huge part of his life that it was in the way now of him putting his affections on Jesus and following Jesus where he went. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, it says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation 
and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Maybe you've heard that before. The love of money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, we're not saying that money's evil. The Bible clearly says that money's not evil. It also says that having money is not evil. There are many people in Scripture that are righteous, amazing people that follow the Lord that are, like, loaded. So being rich is not the same thing as loving money. But loving money becomes a very dangerous thing when it works its way into our lives. Jesus says this. This is Matthew chapter 6. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy. I love that word vermin. And when thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So scripture is giving us some deep lessons about how we function as humans. That when we put something in front of our heart and says, we say treasure that, our hearts go, yes, sir. And it wraps itself around those things. And so scripture is saying, be very, very careful. The treasure that you put in front of your heart, because your heart is not half-hearted. You may feel like oftentimes your heart is half-hearted, but actually your half-hearted is actually the devotion of your heart rubbing against what you think it should be devoted to when it's actually completely devoted to the treasure that you've put in front of it. Listen to what he says in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Your heart can't serve two masters. It can't have two treasures. Either one you will hate and the other, or either, either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Okay. So let's remember, Jesus doesn't want your money. Jesus doesn't need your money. Jesus wants you. And he's saying in this passage with this guy, money's getting in the way. So what do we do with that? So uh, some of you uh, know my love of this book. This is Lynn Twist. She is an activist, a global activist, and she also is a fundraiser for humanitarian organizations and has traveled the world raising money and helping to change the world that we live in. And she has dealt with so many people that donate to these organizations, especially wealthy people. She wrote a book called The Soul of Money. And at the very beginning of this book, I've just been captivated by this. She states three myths that are true about all of us when it comes to money. And I want to kind of expose these myths and talk about why does our love of money introduce all kinds of evil into our lives? You ready? Her first myth is there's not enough. This idea that in this world, there's a not enough to go around. In fact, this idea that, that if you get, I don't get. Whatever you gain is a takeaway from me. It's this idea that when we come into community and we kind of eyeball one another and you have unprecedented success, I can't like, woo, unbelievable. Instead, I step back and I envy because underneath that envy is this idea that there's not enough to go around. See, when I have this idea that resources are limited and I got to get my fair share because my family and me, we're not going to be on the outs. We're going to be on the ends then life becomes less about living and more about comparative and competition. 
We're in a competition now. I moved from thankfulness to competing and to comparison. And these two things destroy our community. They destroy who we are as the body of Christ. Maybe you've heard this before. Comparison is the thief of joy. You know, one of the marks of who we are as the body of Christ, these beautiful children that we baptized into our family today, is that we're a community of joy. And you know what comparison is? The thief of joy. Are you happy with your house? Go visit somebody that has a better one. I know. I'm telling you, that's true about anything. Like, you could be the most fit person on the planet and see somebody that's fitter and go, oh, and become immediately discontent with yourself. It can be true about your car. It can be true about your kids. I know. You can see other people's kids and be envious. No, we would never do that, would we? Your job, your neighborhood, even your church. When you start comparing, it will destroy your joy. And if I have a belief about money that there's not enough going around and I got to get mine, it's going to destroy your joy. In fact, um, let me read you. Uh, this is a book called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness by Tim Keller. Uh, has anybody in this room not read this book? Raise your hand. Please participate. It helps me and my ego. All right. I will get all of you one of these by next Sunday. I promise you. All right. Because you need to read this. So Tim Keller is a pastor up in New York. He founded Redeemer Presbyterian Church, has written a bunch of books, and he's got this obsession with C.S. Lewis. And everything you read about him, he's always quoting C.S. Lewis or uh, Jonathan Edwards, those two guys, he loves them. And in his book on self-forgetfulness, he talks about uh, C.S. Lewis. He says, in his famous chapter on pride and mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis points out that pride is by nature competitive. It is competitiveness that is at the very heart of pride. Then he quotes C, as those of us that know him well call him. (laughs) So C says, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next person. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they're not. They're proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. Then Keller goes on to say, in other words, we're only proud of being more successful, more intelligent, and more good looking than the next person. And when we're in the presence of somebody who is more successful, more intelligent, and better good looking than we are, than we are, we lose all pleasure in what we had. That's because we really had no pleasure in it. We were proud of it. As Lewis said, pride is the pleasure of having more than the next person. Pride is the pleasure of being more than the next person. Lust may drive a man to sleep with a beautiful woman, but at least lust makes him want her. Pride drives a man to sleep with a beautiful woman just to prove he can do it and to prove he can do it above the others. Pride destroys the ability to have pleasure in anything. So when Jesus said to the rich young ruler, give it all away and come and follow me, he wasn't saying, I want your money. I don't want your money. I don't need your money. I want you. But what's in the way is that you're forfeiting pleasure instead of coming to follow me. In fact, Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, I've learned to be content wherever. 
whatever the circumstances. I know what it's like to be in need. I know what it's like to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And listen to the fruit of contentment. Like contentment doesn't serve itself for its own purposes. It serves itself for this purpose so that I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Whoa. My love of money is getting in the way of my contentment, my pleasure in all things, and the knowledge that I can do everything through the one who gives me strength. You know, God has a mission for you, and that mission is more than you. In fact, that mission is going to scare you. It might actually literally scare the hell out of you. And if you don't know that you can't do it and you're not locked into the one who can, you're going to freeze. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. I just love that topic, though. The second myth is more is better. More is better. More, 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 more is better. And I love this one. I love it. I love it because it is so true about me. When I flew to Africa this summer, one of the donors uh, bumped me up to first class. And I got to say, I've never flown first class, much less all the way to Africa. Like, I got on the big plane in Boston to go to Amsterdam. And I went behind the curtain. You know what I'm talking about? The, the curtain that separates first class from, from the losers, you know? <laughs> and I walked in, and they knew my name. They're like, Mr. Drawn, it's so glad you're flying with us today. Please have a seat in your cubicle, in your cubicle. And she goes, would you like a glass of champagne? And I'm like, eight in the morning. Yes, I would. <laughs> Thank you very much. And I, the screen was like this big, and the bed goes all the way flat. It was unbelievable. And I came home, and I told Renee, I said, she goes, what was it like? I said, I don't know. Renee, I just, spiritually. <laughs> you know how you feel just when you know, I, you know, I'm made for this. Like, I, I just walked in, and it was like, finally, I'm home. I am home. This is, I was made, I had no problem going from behind the curtain or in front of the curtain to behind the curtain. It was effortlessly just, my legs just moved me into it and I soaked up every bit of it. Now on the way back home, I had to fly in the back of the plane. Going up is so much easier because more is better. Less, life has told me, isn't better. Unless we're honest. Because it's a myth. And Jesus is trying to wake us up from the myth. Remember, he doesn't want your money. He wants you. And he's trying to wake you up. Listen to what um, uh, Lynn, 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 Lynn. She has some powerful words here. She says, more is better. More is better. Is a chase with no end and a race without a winner. It's like a hamster wheel that we hop onto, get going, and then forget how to stop. Eventually, the chase for more becomes an addictive exercise. And with any addiction, it all, it's almost impossible to stop the process when you're in its grip. But no, no matter how far you go or how fast or how many other people you pass up, you can't win. In the mindset of scarcity, even too much is not enough. She goes on to say, the chase of more is better. No matter what our money circumstances, it demands our attention. It zaps our energy. It erodes our opportunity for fulfillment. When we buy into the promise that more is better, we can never arrive. 
Wherever we are is not enough because more is always better. People who follow this credo consciously or unconsciously, which is all of us to some degree, are doomed to a life that is never fulfilled. We lose the capacity to reach any destination. So even those that have plenty in this scarcity culture cannot quit the chase. Ecclesiastes says it this way. If you love money, you will never be satisfied. Think of that. Jesus doesn't want your money. He wants your satisfaction. He wants your contentment. Myth number three. That's the way it is. That's the way it's always been. That's just life. It's this idea that how things are, how things are always going to be. And there's nothing that we can do to change it. In fact, my involvement in the world and my involvement here in the city is not going to change anything. That's the way the city's always been. That's the way the city's always going to be. Neil Postman in his book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, if you've never read that, that's a great Sunday afternoon read. Uh, He talks about that we have become impotent in our society because of the information overload that we watch news at breakfast in the morning and we see some tragic event that happened over in India and it doesn't change anything about our, time, our day. We don't reschedule anything. We're not emotionally moved by it because we see so much of it. And then we start to believe because I'm impotent to change anything in India, I'm also impotent to change anything with my next door neighbor or in my city. Because there's always been racism. There's always been sexism. There's always been poverty. There's always been hunger and there always will be. There's always been the haves and the have-nots. And what begins to happen is we become cynical, we become hopeless, and we become helpless. And we start using all our money and our resources to build a moat and a castle around ourselves and around ours. Philippians chapter 2, Paul says this, do nothing. Now that word nothing, when we translate it from the Greek, means nothing. Do nothing, (laughs) I just don't get lost in the nuance here. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. He's not saying don't be ambitious. He says don't be selfishly ambitious. What's the difference? Because God wants you to be ambitious for his kingdom. You kidding me? He wants you to enjoy living as people that are content and satisfied because you're with the one who loves you. And then go live your life in the grand adventure. So about 15 years ago, when we all met at Rocket Town, my buddy Larry Warren came to preach. And I love, some of you may know Larry. He's uh, been a businessman and then leveraged all his skills to start ministries in Africa and train pastors all over Africa. Beautiful guy. And we have him preach. And I had no idea what he was about to start in our church because he preached Africa and he had his African stories and everybody's enthralled, you know, and, you know, we're all thinking we want to sing African songs. Uh, And then he was done and we were like, that was great. Yeah, Larry, thanks. But there was a 10-year-old girl in the back of the room who listened to that sermon. And she got in a car with her mother and she goes, mom, he talked about other children that don't have, and I want to do something. And her mom looked at her and said, what are you going to do? And she goes, I'll make money for them. 
she, she hosted this 5K fun run uh, and invited people to come and run and raise money to help support starting a school in the slums of Nairobi. That run became known as Africa, or it became Ellie's Run for Africa. Over 10 years, they raised over half a million dollars to start schools and to bring health care to kids in the slums of Nairobi. That's a 10-year-old kid who said, why not? Why not? See, Jesus doesn't want your money. He wants you. And he wants you to live your life the one he has designed for you. But we're, we've been seduced. We, we've been talked into this small living. We have la- we, we've limited ourselves by looking at our bank account and our resources. And we have given up our contentment. We've, a spell has been cast over us. So I'm going to tell you the first step in breaking the spell. And then I'm going to tell you something to do. Then we're going to sing songs, and then you're going to be mad at me. All right, okay. In Matthew chapter 13, one of my favorite passages of Scripture that I misunderstood for most of my faith, most of my Christian life, this is verse 44. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, in his joy, he went and sold everything that he had, came back to buy the field so that he could have the treasure. You've heard this before? Okay. The next verse is, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for a fine pearl. And when he found one, one of great value, he went away and he sold everything that he had and came back and purchased the pearl. For most of my life, this is how I understood this passage. Midtown, time to get generous. Time to screw up your courage. It's time for us to be committed now. We need to be committed to the Lord. We need to make the Lord the treasure of our lives. We need to know that he is calling you to deep, unprecedented devotion. And we're going to change this city because we're going to rise up and we're going to trust the Lord and we're going to be faithful. He is our treasure. (laughs) It always runs just so thin for me. It's like New Year's resolution. It's just kind of vapors after a week, you know? Then I understood that this is what the passage was about. I'm not the seeker. He is. In this story, I'm not the one that finds Jesus. He's the one that finds me. In fact, this story, if you look at it in the context of all the stories around it, the story, Jesus is always the seeker. And he unearths a treasure, which is you. And then goes and sells everything he has so that he can make you his own. That's our father. Uh, The first step to breaking the spell is to know that you're his treasure. He treasures you, that he would move heaven and earth, that he was not content with the separation between you and him. He did everything, including giving his own life to make you his own. And see what happens, let me make this a little bit more personable. When that happens and we understand that we're treasured, let me tell you, uh, you better get ready. You wade into deep waters. Now, many of you know my story. I was never close to my father. He was a silent man who had little interest in his children's lives. And I realized that a lot of my adult life is looking for a father, like many of you. I came across this quote on my prayer retreat that I just, man, I, I got a, this is a tattoo. I don't have a tattoo, but you know, this 
This is from James K. Smith, who he wrote a book on the devotionals of St. Augustine. He said, every child looking for an absent, distant father, stop. Full attention now. He said, every person in this world that is looking for an absent father, a disappointing father, a distant father, he goes on to say, is on the road to cover up a deeper desire. A deeper desire. A deeper desire than wanting your father. He says, here's the deeper desire, that such a father would actually be looking for us. When he says he treasures you, it's not you looking for him. He's looking for you. He's coming after you. He doesn't care about your money. He doesn't want your money. He wants you. But your money has cast a spell over you. And he's trying to say, wake up to who you are. Wake up to what I've called you to. Quit living small and step into the wonder of the kingdom of our Father. So next week, sermon is on how we're going to do that. But let me just give you a little hint of challenge. You ready? Okay. 2 Peter chapter 1, it's this amazing passage of scripture. His divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness. That's an amazing promise. And through knowledge of him who's called us to his own glory and goodness, through these he's giving us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. We're like him. He's generous, we're generous. Having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. And then he gives a list after that of ways to walk in that. And the first thing he says is, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, and then goodness, knowledge. And then he lists, but I want to stop there. So we have faith. We add to our faith, goodness, action. Then after the action comes knowledge. Now, here's what's confusing, because a lot of us, bless you, a lot of us, like, we want knowledge. We want to fully understand what this is about. And the Bible is telling us you're not going to fully understand until you walk in the goodness of it. In other words, you're not going to understand what I'm talking about until you take the faith step of being radically generous. And I'm going to ask you to do that this week. Would you find some place that you can be radically generous? I don't, I'm not going to tell you what that is. I'm not going to tell you where that is. Maybe at lunch today, you're going to tip your waiter and be radically generous. Or maybe you're going to help some organization or maybe somebody you know that's struggling that, you know, couldn't pay for Christmas. And you're going to, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to ask you to do this by faith. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Be radically generous. And then let me tell you the knowledge that's going to come after that. Oh, that hurts. There is this uh, sadistic woman here in town who I go to from time to time. She's a masseuse. And uh, she, uh, she does, a lot, most of her clients are Titan football players. And she, in her, <laughs> in her studio, she has a rack above the table so that she can hold on to it so she can drive her heel into these guys' shoulders. So when I go to her, I'm like, all right, Angela, don't hold back. Just go for it. And she knows she's getting close when she hears me say, sweet Jesus, please come back right now. <laughs> yeah, because when she gets to troubled areas, it hurts. And what I'm saying to you is you be radically generous. It's going to hurt. And when it does, look up and see the father that's looking for you.
Find the father that's moving toward you and saying, come on, join me. Because he's inviting us into his suffering. You know that, don't you? And the same word for suffering is passion. And that's what he's calling us to live, passionate lives. Go try that this week. And then next week, we're going to come together and talk about how do we do that. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that, Lord, uh, that right now in this moment, each one of us in this room have the opportunity to either close this matter and say, I went to church today and never think about it again. Or we have the opportunity to believe that we are the church and that you're a father who's in pursuit of his kids. And you dare us to believe that you have so much to give us, that you're inviting us now to join you on this journey of receiving, receiving your generosity so that now we could go and reflect our Father's life in his kingdom and be radically generous people. Wake us up, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.